We're turning the clocks back to 1991 and catching up with a band on the verge of a breakup. What we would get instead is the amazing album Actong Baby from U2. Stay with us. Get ready for the 3324 podcast, where lifelong friends Dean Legiro and Eric Coover share their love of all things music and movies. Dean has directed short films and is a music trivia buff. And Eric, trained in audio engineering, brings his extensive knowledge of music and film to the conversation as they discuss, debate, and celebrate their favorite albums, films, and much more. Welcome, friends, to the 3324 podcast 2022 edition, if I'm not mistaken, Eric. Depends that, on when you're listening to it, though. I mean, uh, well, a very first music episode of 2022, which we're exactly. really excited. And, and, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're listening to this next year, you go, well, okay, well, this is old, but for us, it's fresh because we're, we're unfurling it now. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Check us out, 3324 Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate your support. It means so much to us, and it's such a great feeling uh, each week to uh, spend time with my best friend, Eric, and we talk about music, we talk about the movies that we love, and hopefully uh, you you enjoy it as well. If you want to interact and engage with us and other like-minded music and movie-loving people, because they're the greatest people on earth, you can join our Facebook group. 3324 podcast. We've got a great group. We do polls. We have a lot of fun. Mm. You can post, you can find us, interact, and that will lead you to our live shows that we do every other week, which are a, a blast as well. Yeah. Join us on YouTube. Um, and we, we, we like the feedback. We like people coming in and, and talking about the stuff we love as well. Um, we got some real, real heavy hitters on our page. I have to say there's some real, you know, some really smart people on our yeah, page. A lot, that are, a, lot of, a lot of great interaction. I love it. Yeah. yeah I, I, lo I love yep. seeing what people post. I love yeah. getting, you know, we've got some people that really post a lot of great information and I'm a trivia hound. So I love yeah. kind of, I'm getting my daily dose from it as well. I don't We're getting humbled. <laughs> we are <laughs> getting humbled. <laughs> Absolutely. So we're, we're yep. in this episode, we're, I just noticed something earlier. This is this is the third album that we'll have done a podcast on from 1991. Yeah. Our first one That's was, right. was yep. Nirvana, and we really wanted to address like the rise of grunge and the change in everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, a few months later, we did R.E.M., uh, Out of Time, which came out in 91, which we were kind of positioning as the antithesis to the grunge movement <laughs> that's where right. they, this yeah. group could put out an album in the, in the wave of that and, and be successful. Mm -hmm. And now we've got a third one. And I think we're going to leave 1991 alone after this, unless we do, <laughs> unless we do Pearl Jam, like in 2023, but sure. Um, or we yeah. do a different album from them. But, but this album by U2 is another one of those, I, I think pivot points, not only in music, but for a band, you know, Nirvana yeah. was a pivot point for the band. I think I think Out of Time was a pivot point for R.E.M. It, it repositioned them. This is probably the most extreme, one of the most extreme examples. Uh, I'm, I'm going to use the term course correction, but it doesn't really apply because they weren't on a bad course. Yeah. It's just that this this is a course correction by a band that was that we didn't know needed a course correction, but they did. Good and point. And what they ended yeah. up doing was nothing short of astounding, especially in light of what was happening in 1991, where we were seeing the bubblings of, of the grunge move had come out and, and all those great albums, Guns N' Roses, Usual Illusion 1 and 2 was out. So there was a lot of stuff going on in the music yeah. business. And when you look at U2, their earlier stuff, right? When did you get into U2? Uh, we have a story about U2. I hope you remember it. <laughs> yes, we do. Okay. Yes, we do. Um, so it goes back a ways. It does. Uh, probably, I, I would say for me, it was Unforgettable Fire. That was the album that uh, that I took notice of the band. I mean, you know, sure, MTV with the earlier stuff, you know, from Boy and War and, and you know, they were, you know, posting videos, you know. But, yeah, Unforgettable Fire for me, I, there was something about that album that I they were already changing, you know, their sound a little bit, you know, just coming away from that real early raw kind of, you know, real, real political, real, like sort of like white flag waving kind of stuff going on. Unforgettable fire, at least, you know, because I probably because of the, which we'll get into, of course, with this later, but the production team of, of Eno and uh, Lenoir, I think that had a major factor on on their career, basically as you know, for, for them. I think they did so much for this band, 
and we'll we'll talk about that in a bit. But yeah, cool. All right, let yeah. me let me go. Let me roll the stats out, yep. and then we'll continue that conversation about our, our connection to you two. So, this was released in November of 1991, and like Eric said, this is the perfect segue. It was produced by Daniel Lanois and Brian Eno, mm-hmm. and they have their kind of DNA in a, on a couple of their albums uh, from you two. So there there is a partnership there. Uh, it won two Grammys, and oddly enough, one of them was producer of the year for for Lanois and Brian Eno. Uh, the other one was Best Rock Performance by a Duo or a Group. The album debuted at number one on the Billboard charts. Uh, interesting for a band on the verge of breaking up. Yeah. Uh, it went eight times platinum. So that's eight in excess of eight million copies sold. 2005 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees on the first ballot. There was no way they weren't getting it in the first shot. They would know who's not going to say <laughs> you two should, should get it, not get in on this, right? Yeah, right. So I remember in high school, uh-huh. Um, in, in our high school, in the halls, they had all these blank walls. And if you were an art student, they would let you paint a mural on the wall. And if you go to Dobbs Ferry High School, you'll see some incredible art. But what mostly everybody did, for the most part, was rock bands, mm-hmm. album covers, Led Zeppelin. You could see everything. And I distinctly remember there was a just a a, a mural of a white flag. And it was it said, you too. Mm-hmm. And that's all it was. And I think it was our, a friend of ours, Annie, that I think Annie did it. So that it goes back to even before I was familiar with them, I was seeing some imagery about this, you, like you too. What does this mean? What is it? Right. Which um, at, the, not at sure. that time, we, we had no idea. We, we yeah. looked at this mural and we're like, what? Yeah, what is that? What's the what's the big deal about when people were were painting dark side of the moon and close to the edge and all these elaborate sort of like artful kind of things. And here was this basically this really basic kind of thing and yeah i I do remember that that was yeah that's a nice uh nice point to bring up (laughs) yeah Yeah. so it was kind of there you know it was almost i I equated to squeeze and a squeeze episode i said people were kind of into squeeze before i was kind of aware of it you kind of heard about this band and you too was like that so there was a lot of people that were kind of getting into it or or open to it and and i don't know where they were getting it from but it was it was there and then all of a sudden it showed up on on the mural and yeah so yeah, we around Unforgettable Fire. Of course, you know, you've got the song Pride, which was really their kind of their breakthrough hit, um, mm-hmm. followed up by their performance at Live Aid, which may be second or third to Queen, but it was still a great performance by them where it really kind of put them out on, on the yeah. world stage. Formidable um, performance. Yep. yep. Joshua Tree comes out, which was their monster, uh, with or without you, where the streets have no name. I mean, it was just so many, uh, so many great things. The, the story that positions Eric and I for you two around that time <laughs> is Eric was taking drum lessons and I was taking bass slash guitar, whichever I thought was easier. I would just vacillate between the two, whichever I thought was easier. Oh, yeah. I'm going to play bass. Multi And our friend Johnny was playing yep. keyboard. He was taking uh, keyboard lessons. Mm-hmm. So we would try and kind of jam. That you was know, our parents, shining moment. <laughs> my, yeah, my parents were very much not into the drums thing. They were like not into the loud stuff. But every Saturday, unfortunately, not in my house either. Nobody's house, no one wants drums in the house. That's why right. my, I was actually wanted to be a drummer. My parents wrong, said no. I picked the wrong <laughs> instrument. Yep, I got a I lot of heat. The wrong, picked the wrong week to stop sniffing glue. There you go. <laughs> so, so we would we would need a place to to jam, uh, and my house had a had a basement. And my parents, every Saturday, like clockwork, they would leave in the morning. They would go food shopping. They'd do some other shopping. So there would like be like a three to four hour window where my parents were not home. Mm-hmm. And the house was at the mm-hmm. mercy of me and, and my, my musical desire. So we would, I would drive over. Eric would load up the drums. Johnny, our friend Johnny would, would load up his keyboard. We'd bring everything into the basement. We'd get it set up and we would just kind of really jerk around we really didn't do much with it we would just kind of jam a little bit and fool around just to pl- like play to play yeah you guys didn't like, the- you guys didn't like the drums either yeah every time right. i started to play you're like coob enough you know we, we got to get this down we got to <laughs> we're trying well, to I'm practice there, like I'm, a real band i'm sitting there waiting waiting to get going and these guys are like fiddling with this one chord or trying to get whatever. it straightened out and, and everything so so i thought it yeah. would be i was like let's try and actually play a song like what is feet kind of somewhat feasible yeah. And if you listen to the bass line in With or Without You, I mean, that song is basically the bass line and it's very atmospheric. So I'm like, this is kind of simple. We can, you know, so I, I snagged the, the sheet music, uh, kind of learned learned my part, yeah. showed it to Johnny. He kind of worked out just some some atmospheric style chords. Uh, you know, Eric took over the drum part and we we kind of ran through it maybe once or a half a time. 
And for a moment, like you get that feeling, like for a moment, it's like we were making music. Yeah. When it all comes together, like it came together, it was wonky. And then we ran through it a couple of times. And, and, and there was that one part where it just kind of, Eric was, was in the pocket with the drums. Johnny was, was just doing the right thing on the keyboards. I was just hitting the bass just where it should be. I I did a little, little vocal. You did. Um, It was great. Yeah, it was great. It was, it was a lot of fun. You so that was here like first, YouTube. folks. Dean sang. He, he, I did he sing. Did, yeah, he did. <laughs> He's do, he did his, best pano, did his best pano. Did his best pano. So that that led that, that. So that was the early days of you two. And then when when this album came out, um, I have another story. This the, this tour the the tour for Octung Baby is the reason why I will never go to a stadium show again. And it's not because of you two, but mm. um, I went to go see you two on this tour, and it was a giant stadium in okay. new jersey and that's a massive a massive stadium and we had like the worst possible seats whatever that doesn't make a difference but you know and the show was fantastic it took me longer to get home from the show than the length of the show was i can imagine and i was yeah. so pissed off i'm like i'm never ever going to a stadium show again i don't care who it is i yep. just don't want the the experience afterwards of having the a aggravation. great show and then being yeah. pissed off like that's trying right. to get home so yeah. it's not you two's fault it's everybody else that went to that concert that wasn't me. It's mm-hmm. their fault that I never go to a, a <laughs> That's show, right. a stadium yeah. show again. And that, I mean, that area in general is is hard to get in and out of a giant yeah. stadium, right? So that's the nether, that's the Meadowlands. So yeah, that, the yeah, Meadowlands. You're, you're, you're that's like Swampland. You're like you you are there for the duration. Yeah, Absolutely. and everybody and their mother yep. was at this yep. show. It was just yep. a monster thing and uh, amazing show, though. Amazing show. Yeah. I had, so, just I had a, no idea you went though. I had no yeah. idea you saw them. Oh huh. yeah, I saw them. Yeah, like I said, it was like the worst, probably the worst seats in the house, like total opposite side of the stadium up top. But uh, a brief history of U2. They were formed in 1976. Originally, they were called the Hype, and then they were called the Feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Bono on vocals. You've got the Edge on guitar. You've got Adam Clayton on bass. You've got Larry Mullen Jr. on drums. The great thing about U2, it's just been the four of them. Yeah. It's, you know, for this length, it's never been anybody else. And it's just been you two. And you don't hear about any fisticuffs and swings like like Townsend and Daltrey or, or Aerosmith. Well, I was just about you know, to say, they always, you know, the reason you two was kind of gravitated, I, I, you know, was because they reminded me so much of The Who in that sense. Like they're very anthem type rock, that type stuff. I was like, this is the new Who for me, like the mm-hmm. band coming in with these kind of songs that they're minus the black eyes and the missing teeth (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) yep they were to me like the who of the 80s in that sense you know sort of like the if you listen to like who's next or quadrophenia and that big big sound that they were doing with Mm. with bob o'reilly and that was u2 but but u2 is far more political which i I have to admit was a little bit of a turnoff i didn't understand it the politics at the Politics, time, the socio socioeconomic yeah, slant yeah. on things as well. Yep. Um, and that actually kind of haunted them. That was really what what happened is is they put out but the album before Octung Baby was Rattle and Hum, which was a weird kind of a thing. There was a documentary. It, it was originally going to be like a short film, but then it, it expanded into a full length documentary. And then the album itself sold really well. It just, although critically, just kind of panned. It was kind of like like a a live album and a studio album kind of mixed together. So you get live no, tracks and then you'd get yeah. studio tracks. So it wasn't like a double album of here's, here's an album of studio. And then here's an album of live. It was interspersed. So when you listen to it, it's hard to kind of get a, a read a, a as gra- to what a it's grasp about on it. Like to yeah. get into what, a, a mode. What are you know, they trying to do to here? Live, yeah. You want to hear live. You know, if you're listening to a live album, you're kind of in the live mode. Then all of a sudden you get a song that's, just not that and it's very atmospheric and and then this kind of throws you it it kind of it, it surprised me because it was not only critically <clears throat> panned but fans alike i mean and they were all saying the same thing and prep for this i i actually watched a it wasn't the greatest documentary on octum baby but it was they were they were commenting on how the pomposity of the band at this point people were just fed up with it because they were they came off as very like arrogant and pompous oh, absolutely and i and i, and I Holier than thou, you know. Yeah, I did. I did not know this. And the pop, the thing of it was, it wasn't the, so much the politics as much as it was them trying to like, oh, we're like really into you know like the roots of American music, 
So you had songs on, you know, when they, when they collaborated with like BB King, that wasn't a good thing apparently. Or when they were singing the song about Billie Holiday, like, which I love, yeah. I love that song, <clears throat> you know, uh, I think Angel the of critics Harlem. thought they were, they were, I think the critics thought they were positioning themselves in yeah. the, in the league of those people yeah. when they were, they were really paying homage to them and honoring them. But, but the, but then but I to start your to point that people thought that they're just trying to position themselves as being on that level, which but they I, are but, now. So, but, but I start to think <laughs> about like, okay, well, if that's the case, then, then, you know, the, I guess the same thing could could have been said about people like Sting, right. Or, or Phil Collins to a certain extent, because they were, they were really embracing jazz and, and, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff as well. So, well, Sting so did yeah, get a little flack. He got a little bit of flack from some from the jazz yeah. community. Yeah, for, there for was poaching for poaching. Like uh, I, I remember a story: you know, Brantford Marsalis, yeah, Brantford like his, Marsalis, his brother, like practi- practically disowned him for yeah. working with Sting. Yeah. He's like, you, you blew it, man. You're you you're no longer a purist. You're you know, yeah. and he got such flack for that. It's like, yeah. wow, so it's what, it's, it's a real thing where there's yeah. this cognoscenti yeah. of people passing judgment and and. It did affect it, it did affect them. They they regroup, they they go into the studio for, mm-hmm. for their next release after Rattle and Hum. Sessions are, are not going well. They're taking forever. There's there's internal strife and and kind of you know arguing, arguing or whatever. And they're just ready to to throw it yeah. in. They're like, you know what? This might not be worth it at this point anymore. You know, and that's kind of really interesting on on the heels of of you know, I mean, like I said, Rattle and Hum wasn't well received, but it sold like eleven million copies. I mean, it did really well. People were, yeah. were buying it no matter what. If, you know, even if, if it was a dog, you know, the people still bought it when it first came <laughs> yeah. out and was, were, were right. kind of getting it. You know, because yeah. U two was riding that crest, and and that would have been a spectacular implosion mm-hmm. had they broken up because everybody was buying Joshua Tree. I mean, that was like a multiple Grammy award winning album. It was just like, you know, you talk about the eighties rock. It's like the Joshua Tree. Yeah. So for them to get that close and and it was the song one that brought them together is yeah they started it was jamming uh, got it was together. brian eno we have to give credit to brian eno he came in and he really and even though those very real early sessions they just weren't um things weren't quite clicking from the very beginning they you know like you say they were there, there were some some things happening there, but it was it was his insistence that we we continue with this. We we have to change, you know, your sound. We gotta, you know, um, and yeah, the song one, which we'll get to because that, <laughs> you know, we'll get to that point, but that that song, yeah. yeah. So it so really holds a special <laughs> one, the song one, literally about four people, you know. Uh, getting together and, and becoming one again mm-hmm. was what saved the band. They, they, they were able to improve. The song was largely improvised in the studio. So that kind of sparked re reignited some of the spark. And then, yeah, this, this embracing of techno industrial mm-hmm. alternative yeah. sounds, right. Which they were, which is not anything that they were known for. They were known for the, you know, yeah. Like that big, uh, the 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 jangling guitar of the edge and the big soaring vocals of Bono really like ripping it to the crowd yeah and this is something totally you know the 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 beats are more techno and and kind of electronic influence yeah Larry Mullen was not a fan of like they were using incorporating drum machines yeah. sequencers that kind of thing. and it was just but to great effect though I mean it it, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't it didn't completely replace what was what was happening on the surface but. It, it only added to the flavor of the record and, yeah. you know, and what they were really going for here is, to, is, to, is, um, what this album really brings to the table. To me, it always sounded like Bowie. Interestingly enough, I didn't make the connection then because what we come to find out that it was, they were inspired by the Berlin trilogy of Bowie albums that came out in the seventies, you know, uh, stuff like heroes and, and, you know, those three albums mm-hmm. that he had made with Eno, back in the day when he recorded in Berlin at, uh, at Hansa studio, uh, which was created specifically for those sessions. They, because of what was happening with the Berlin wall coming down. And so they, that was an, an inspiration for them to do something. I guess that's the political point. I guess the only political point about this album was that they decided to record there because of what was happening in Berlin. And so that was a, a big sort of lift for them. So, you know, there was this freedom yeah, you know that there's unification happening. So, yeah. in a sense, yeah, we're we're reunifying the band here. So, yeah, there was that that yeah. good and, feel. And then the yep. other part of it, which which you talked about the political part, but the other part which was important 
is they stopped taking themselves so seriously as well. Yes. They were able to loosen up and not every every song didn't have to have this message. And even even Bono adopted this persona called the fly during yeah. you know inspired <laughs> yeah. by the by the writing of it. But he would yeah. And then he would take that persona on tour with the leather jackets and the vinyl. That's not something that you associate you two with. And no. this big broad personality. And so they really kind of started to kind of relax themselves a little bit almost a parallel to rem i think we said that about rem as well when they, they put out out of time they kind of like yeah. okay let's just make an out al- you know let's make an album of of just great music this is the and, moment and they, they did- became rock stars yeah i think this is like they're they're the image the whole image of the band yeah the leather the, the, the music shades. videos the, exactly. the dynamic yeah. videos right. mm-hmm. the the new sound where it wasn't a gimmick it wasn't you know had this come out maybe in 92 or 93 mm-hmm. People might have said, oh, this is a reaction to grunge and they're trying to do something like that. The fact that it came out right at the same time all this stuff was coming out, I think also was a genuine move by them, right? They, were, they weren't they were doing it in a reaction to something because grunge, the album Nirvana had come out, but grunge hadn't hit yet. The album had only come out. Yeah. This was a this was a survival move by by the band of we need to, we really need to do something different and, and we're already tired of that whole U2 image and and what are we going to do about it? So you you want to talk about a roll of the die? I mean, it's got to be one of the one of the biggest rock and roll. I I I put this one, I put this album and the album Electric by the Cult, kind of in the same thing because they were they were both almost 180 degree turns that were necessary that that kind of brought them a new audience or allowed them to kind of continue on in a different way. And and this is probably the biggest the biggest selling example of a band reconfiguring. Not as a gimmick, not as a reaction to the music scene, but as a reaction to what they were doing themselves and they needed to, to and it wasn't their for, for yeah. a, like, oh, here's our Electronica album and then here's our country album. Yeah. They actually followed this up with Zuropa, which was even more. It took it even to the, <laughs> yeah. to the next degree yeah. of, of an right. experimentation of, okay, well, what do we, you know, what does this mean for us? And then they were, they were able to kind of pull it back and then reconfigure into more of a straight up rock band. That's right. Um, yeah. I mean... <sighs> You might think, I, of course, initially thought back in the day that it was like, what are they doing? You know, like I didn't really, <laughs> I love the album, but the, this, the, the sort of the image though, like, you know, the change in the image was like, they're all of a sudden they're playing big stadiums again. I mean, but, but, but in, in a much more flashy yeah, sort of way, like it's, this is a total like departure of what they were. I didn't know how to feel about that necessarily. And in, in, in a sense, but you know, you might think, Oh, well they're selling out or that, that kind of thing. Like it's just more, no, more of a commercial thing, but <laughs> exactly. You did, you, but we didn't know that at the time. Yeah. We were just kind of like, you know, so naive to that, but yeah, they, in their, in their own way, they were, it was, it was a, it was a response. It was, yeah. like they, it needed to happen for them because yeah. we didn't know that there was such disdain for what they were doing in the late eighties at that point, they were just like, Oh, yeah. we're done just with internal you. strife. Yeah. yeah just it's like- surprising. It's surprising how much, you know, everybody can just turn, you know, things change so rapidly in, in, in the industry. And you just, it's amazing how like in just a few years, how like you're so popular. And then all of a sudden it's just, you're done. Well, we're, yeah. we're tired of this. We're ready for the new thing. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. or bands yeah. will kind of like, like, <clears throat> a parallel to to the Beatles with with the Get Back documentary, kind of they're they're kind of limping along, yeah, right. And and yep. some bands will limp, they'll kind of limp along, and when they really should have been put out of their misery, and and you too is like, well, we don't want to limp along, we can't, we can't do that. That's right, know, no matter what. And they could have probably limped along, using you know, making the U two sound. People probably would have would have done it. So again, they didn't do it for the fans or a reaction to this or that they did it for themselves, but which makes it genuine. Survival. So it's not sure. the gimmick. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's not yep. gimmicky. Like other bands have done that H- hands down. This is pretty much the, the most consistent album that I ever listened to. From I YouTube. It's like the one that I pretty much yep. will pull out and be like, that's right. Here yep. we go. <laughs> Every song on this album is great. I, yeah, this is, and- this is just so special and it's just so well done. Like, you know, especially when you know every, you know, if you listen to their other stuff and then you listen to this, it's like, oh my God, it's so different. And, but it's so great. And they just really, they pulled it off. Mm-hmm. Like mission yep. accomplished. They did it. It was like, and not only did they do it, they did it to the nth degree. I mean, like I said, this thing debuted at number one. So people were ready for, for something. And and the music, again, there's maybe two songs that you could say are echoes of you two. 
you know, uh, that yeah. have some of the, some of the, some of the, you know, kind of the trappings of a U2, but, but mm-hmm. this, when this just starts out with, with Zoo Station, I mean, you're just, it's such you know, a different, it's, it's, it's got the processed vocals. It's you, you, it's got the, the industrial kind of techno drumming. Yeah. It's not, it's opening like, not like anything else that you've heard on a U2 album. I think it, it again, I, I can't say enough about the production team on this record. I mean, Lenoir and they knew what they were doing. I mean, it, to me, it goes back to Peter Gabriel as well with So. Yeah. You know, how much of a departure that was for him. It was such a more commercial sound, but yet. The, the, Peter, still Gabriel. It's still Gabriel. It's still yeah. weird. It's still out there, but but he knew instinctively what to do, what to, what to bring to the table. Gabriel at the, at the very beginning was like, I, I don't want any symbols on, on any of my albums. I just want drums. Lenoir comes in, I want symbols. And with Red <laughs> Rain, he comes in with Stuart. He's got like three different people playing yeah. hi-hat on that song alone. And, that, you know, but yeah, that's what he brings to the table. That's why he's one of my favorite producers of, of the late 80s and going into well into the 90s. And he did a lot of his own material which which is great in itself if you've ever heard of any of his own stuff really good really yeah, he good was stuff. very much in demand in, in the late yeah. 80s robbie yeah. robertson uh bob dylan every everybody was, yeah. was was looking at after him to trying to get him to work with him now with with this because there's two producers they act, what they actually did is they they gave each producer a crack at the at the songs and said all right brian eno go ahead and you mix it down and give us your mix and what you think and lanois give us yours and they would either pick one or the other or say, mm-hmm. well, we like elements of this and elements of that. So can you go back and remix it? And this, this album was literally being mixed, I believe up until like three weeks before it was released. And then, yeah. you know, the edge grabbed the tapes and flew them out to California. So just, just, Oh God, this is just one of those albums that it's like zoo station kind of sets it. Here comes the gushing folks. Even, <laughs> when yeah, you hear, even, when like, you hear Dean go, Oh, <laughs> You know, like That's even the better moment. than the real thing. It's it's like one after the other. It's kind of even better than the real thing. Then one, yeah, until the end of the world. Who's gonna ride your? You know, so cruel. I love. Oh my god, yeah. It's just such a great collection of songs. I I and I even though it's, it's a different sound, they don't sound the same. No, they don't. And you know what? It it's refreshing. It's it it makes you want to listen to the next track. I want to hear what's coming up next. I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, unlike I have to admit, I mean, Joshua Tree is a monster. But it's not a perfect album. I mean, yeah. not every song is great on that record. I mean, I I, I think Octung for pound for pound, Octung Baby just oh. blows it away in terms just of blows just everything every, away. you know every song. Except, that, except you know. maybe their greatest hits, yeah. <laughs> which don't count. Greatest hits don't count. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I think yeah. this is going to be easy for us to say this is their this is their pinnacle. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Yeah, you know, so, um, so you got even better than the real thing. Then you have one, which is which is that that well, well, song one, that they needed too, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I back in the day, one probably didn't affect me like it affects me now. But that this song might just well, it well, first of all, it's my favorite song by you two, hands mm-hmm. down. And it's it's the first, and you know me, I'm always going for like the deep cuts on albums. I always there's always a better song than the hit. But for in this case, I I'm gonna go with the first song that they did for the you know that they recorded yeah. for this album, and it's one of the hits. Uh, it's my favorite U2 song ever, hands down. And I, I just can't say enough about it. I don't know what it is about it that really affects me. Every time I hear it, I have to hear it to the end. Yeah. And I, and I, and when you, when you really dig deep and you really take the time to listen to the song, it affects you. So, you know, it, it's a yeah. statement it's, for it's a- uh, all us weirdos, all of us misfits, all of our, you know, we're just, it's it's a simple song. It, yeah, it's, it's, and it, it's it is a simple, and that's it's the simply thing. That's presented the and and it's and it's uh, heartfully sung. That's the thing too. Is you get you the really build. get a, a great top notch vocal performance from Bono. That's he doesn't right. oversell it. He's he's in the pocket with this, and he knows kind of where where to rein it in oh and not God. not go big and booming like he can. There's not a there's not a time I think I hear this song even on the radio and and just passing like I I'll tear up. There's not, there's not, a, there's not, I don't think I, you could probably, you got to stop giving yourself paper cuts. That's why you tear up. Yeah. I, I think, you know, every, I think from this point on, every time we hear this song, if we're to get, you know, if we're, you know, hanging out or whatever, we, and we hear this song, 
you're probably going to put it on just just because oh, you, you want to see me freaking you know I, I was just about to say that i said as soon as we see each other in person this is going to be on the on when i pick you up like you, you better this believe almost, when you come in it's going to be playing well this i'll tell you this almost made my list of the alternative hits uh episode that it we would have been a good one you know, it would have it, it but i didn't think that you you know you two quite fit them because we were looking at groups that were that pretty sure. much were formative in the in the 90s yeah you two was a, sort of a Sure. But this, this would be an outlier. They would be considered an outlier. So. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you put you two on the list, it wouldn't be out of place. But someone might be like, "Yeah, why is you two on this?" Yeah. But exactly. but it wouldn't it wouldn't be out of place? I don't think. Again, for what they did, if this was a U two mm-hmm. album that sounded like a U two album, then it would be like, "Yeah, it doesn't belong." If you didn't know who they were, if you hadn't heard, yeah. the, you know, the old stuff, and you know, and I gotta admit, I mean, I'm you know, the edge really, what really, I mean, the edge really stands out on this album for me. I mean, I'm glad to see him. I'm, I'm glad they gave him such texture to his guitar work. Is that's what that, I was gonna that, say? That buzzing guitar, that you know, that that I that I love so much. You know, coming from Brian Eno, which he you know he did with Bowie, which you know reminds me of Robert Fripp of King Crimson of that kind of yeah. That that raw, I love that sound. You know, the James Eha from Smashing Pumpkins, the same thing. Yeah, um, yeah they, more, they, more like the Andy Summers in the Police, yeah, where it's textures, exactly. yeah, that's right, and, and feelings and and experimentation with sounds, and not the not the jangly, jangly, jangly. I mean, I think you, you kind of get, get tired in, of that, don't you? Yeah. That, that... I mean, I think we got that only in. I think Ultraviolet was the only, really, the main song that had yeah on this album. But go back and listen to their old stuff, and there's it's kind of like. You're getting the the same kind of thing, right? The same riff, the same like rhythm. You know, there's very little like lead happening. Like, you know, there's like, and after a while, I I could see how that can get a little, a little tiresome. You know, yeah. and, and you know, especially if I were the edge, I'd be like, I want to do something different here. You know, like I could just see him want, wanting to do like expand on that. You know, so yeah, you know. yeah, absolutely. And and you've got a you've got a rhythm section bar none. I mean, I don't think Adam Clayton gets enough recognition oh, yeah. as a bass player yeah. he is he is so low-key he almost does not exist <laughs> well he like but you he know, does he used, the job I mean, he had this share of, of issues you know he was you know back in the day but he just he yeah he just comes in he executes he's not a, a flashy bass player but he is an excellent bass player mm-hmm. and and larry mullen is just one of those guys too he's just a workhorse i mean it, you know That's he's right. kind of like a you know, kind of, kind of like a like a Bill Barry from REM, just kind of back there, just kind yeah, of getting he's the it drummer done. that that you know he does the job, but nobody gives him the credit. Yeah. It's like the drummer never because gets you're the credit. Right? By Bono and the Edge, I mean exactly those two yeah. in the band. Yeah, and then the other two are 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 standing behind. And I remember shadows, my sister know? had such a crush on him though back in the on day, who Larry Larry Mullen. She was oh, Larry like, such a, no. Oh yeah, she was. Oh, she was all over that guy. <laughs> He's he's like a cross back then back back then he was a cross between like Billy Idol and Sting like yeah kind of looks exactly. like like there he could be a, well, there a younger you brother of both of them <laughs> there like you with go the, with the, the spiky blonde hair and the, and the right. movie star good looks you know but <laughs> but these guys are just low key I mean they just kind of get it done and and Bono is like the the showman and and and, and the edge is is kind of out there yeah so we got to give props to to especially Adam Clayton his bass work is just really um, a really unsung hero of of the band kind of like nigel harrison and blondie as well same type of thing yeah that's where right. these guys are, are back there getting it done but the front guys get uh get all the credit just this is one of those albums that yeah it's just song after song if you've never listened to 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 this album in its entirety i suggest the songs don't flow where you need to listen to it but i suggest you sit and listen to this album as one complete thought and you'll kind of you'll kind of get what what they were trying I to totally do. agree yep yeah, do you know, not you, skip you could a track. Pick this. You could easily cherry pick this and you have a great experience. Yeah. But I think I, if well, you listen to the whole thing, I think you kind of get it gets you in the groove with them and the the way the songs are, are arranged, you know, as far as the track listing, I think it really is just a it's just So a what run. what are your favorite what are your standout tracks on this? I, I wrote a few down, you know, like I I'm writing, I'm like, well, I gotta stop writing because it'll just be everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so it's kind of like always you know even better than the real thing has always been been a favorite uh these are pretty much the hits uh mysterious ways i love because it's uh-huh. just so different from what they were doing yeah. um the stuff that's a little more a little more closer to you two ish is trying to throw your arms around the world i love that song as well mm-hmm. um oh god because that's just so atmospheric and they really just excelled at, at they didn't say oh we need to change our sound so every song is going to sound electronic or techno 
you know, yeah, like, we got it. We got it. We got it. They played with different, with different, just not sounding the way they used to, but it doesn't mean everything has to sound the same as a result because it's, you're trying to be different. Well, it's saying sense. that we're still here. We're still you two. We still have roots. We, you know, we're going to throw a little bit of that back to the fans. I think, you know, I think, yeah, it's, it's important to do that. I think, you know, you know, you need to, to, to remind people of what they were at some point, you know, just if only just for a little bit, but, uh, yeah, I, I think one for me, so cruel. I love, I yeah. love, uh, acro- I like Acrobat a lot. I don't, I don't know why it just, you know, that, that stands out for me. And then love is blindless. The last song on the album mm-hmm. is just, uh, gorgeous as well. Yeah. It there's, just, there's you know, a, it gets there's, you, a great, yeah. there's a great lyric from trying to throw your arms around the world. Mm-hmm. A woman, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. <laughs> it's like true, like truer words have never been spoken. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I think true. so. Yeah, <laughs> men, you know, men need women more. Is, is you know, mm-hmm. kind of like men, men would be lost without women. But he's saying, women, you know what? You don't need men. You kind of it's, it'd be a waste. But it, it's, who's going to ride your wild the, the horses too? Is another. I mean, that's one of the yeah the the staples, like the radio staples too. But uh, man, that that's a great one too. Especially yeah, that's when like you one get of their stadium songs. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's like one of those big one of those big songs. So it's got such a, such a, a variety of the, yeah, of the tender stuff, the atmospheric stuff, the electronic stuff, the techno stuff. I mean, they really just, oh, it's great. Yeah, it's it's groove worthy too. It's, you know, you know me, I'm all into the groove thing. So yeah. and then rhythm. So there's enough, quite enough of that on this record. So you can actually move to it, even though the songs are extremely personal and which, you know, that we haven't really mentioned is the fact that they, there's really no politics on this. It's all about love and, yeah. and, and just self-deprecating type stuff, real personal for the first time. It's like, yeah, you told, you talk about reinvention, yeah, but, but lyrically too, it's like, they're, I don't know. It's, it, it's kind of like their Layla moment in a sense, like where it's this sort of like Anthem, they're still very, very sort of Anthem. Like these songs are huge, but it's very personal at the same yeah. time. So it's hard to really, you don't have to go down like really get real quiet to to sing a love song yeah. or to talk about heartbreak you know you can do it in such fashion that it's so big and 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 bono's you know voice and it really carries and you know uh it's amazing it's just amazing stuff yep yeah and to and to take this out on the road i mean like like you you had alluded to i mean it was it was like a uh <clears throat> they had like all these like these like cars like on the stage like painted and weird and it was called I, I think it was like the pop mart tour or that might have yeah. been after this um they really really kind of relaxed that whole bringing the message to the masses type thing and really kind of started to subvert even i guess the uh, people's opinions of themselves and that's really what this is too yeah is just is kind of taking the u2 myth and turning it on their head and and bono becoming this character the fly who can say things and and act a certain yeah. way that Bono could not, you know, and by adopting this persona, and he actually adopts a, a few personas in his career. He had one, uh, the Golden Cowboy, I think, and then another yeah. one called Mac- Macfisto, which was kind of a, a devilish <laughs> yeah. version of the fly. I mean, I mean, Bono like dyed his hair black for this and character. That's where he's wearing, in the red leather. Yeah. 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 Yep. So, so the, he, he kind of really, it, it really put them on a different trajectory. Mm-hmm. His, uh, you know, mirror ball, uh, mirror, mirror ball, man, I think was the one with the, with all the gold and he wore like yeah. a, a cowboy hat and stuff. So just, just embracing some of that weirdness and maybe some of that Bowie influence of, of different characters, right? like Ziggy Stardust and the thin the glam, Duke yeah, and, absolute you know, glam. Yep. Those types yep. of things. So it's just kind of, yep. uh, very interesting that, that they were able to pull it off. That that's the, that's the, the, the beauty of this in the nineties, no less. When in the nineties and that everything it was embraced. Was, everything was back to form. Like we like we talked about, like you know, analog again, flannel and and <laughs> right. Yeah. And here's here's you two. This could have bombed. Re- I mean, know. this could have bombed and still have been a great album. And it could have yeah. been one of those ones that nobody, you know, like, oh my God, when you look back now, it was a misfire then, but it's so mm-hmm. it was a, a turning point. It was a turning point, but it was also a turning point that was so successful too, which was the which really was the win. They could have put this out and and it not done well. And they could have just said, well, we're staying on this course no matter what, because this is what we're doing. Yeah. The absolutely. bonus is that the fans and everybody came along and that really gives you, I guess, probably that extra push and that extra motivation and that validation that what we've done, it was, it was right. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, from our fan standpoint, again, they, they don't do those things necessarily for the fans, but 
I'm sure that doesn't hurt. Right. And I think, uh, like I've said before, the, produ- the production team yeah. really you're, knew you're what they were doing. You're hot on the production team. I am. I, I'm going to give them, I'm going to give them full credit because like, do you get a like, dollar? Do you get a dollar for every time you say, Eno? no, well, well okay. Hey, we, we, we said it before <laughs> they, they were ready to break up. Yeah. That's a fact. Right. And it, <laughs> if it fact, weren't Jack. for Brian Eno and Lemois, they, you know, yeah. they, they probably would have, if it weren't for that direction and, and, and sticking to that and saying, you know, listen, we know what we're doing here. We, you know, let's do this. And, you know, it yeah, paid off. and keeping paid them, off keeping them, yeah, they, they, they actually did challenge them. There were, there was a, um, I forget what the hell it's called, oblique. Brian Eno has this, this strange theory about, <laughs> um, about productivity and how to get things done. Uh-huh. Um, and it's right, and it's, it's, I'm going to really kind of, I'm going to butcher it. But he's got this way of working. Uh, I forget what it's called, but it's something like I don't know. You basically you write down a bunch of different things on cards, on like index cards, and it's almost like a way to challenge yourself. Like you know, something old is new again. So that if you pull that card, you're going to try and write a song that's yeah. maybe reminiscent yeah. of what you've done, but something new or no drums or something like that. They will get you would have all these different cards and they would pull them. And then that would kind of be the spark of an idea of, okay, here's that's an our, interesting here's way idea. to do it. Yeah. It? Here's our idea. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. And it was just kind of very interesting. I forget what, what exactly it was called. I was reading about it, but he was, Brian Eno was like very much even back in the seventies. Like it was a really uh, kind of promoting that type of work. It came, it came out, somebody else kind of really pioneered it, but he kind of adapted well, of it, it for music. Yeah, when he did his own stuff, I mean, some of it was was extremely minimal. I mean, he was very he was very much a minimalist in a lot of his own work and and that kind of thing. And it was just, but yeah, you're right. I mean, he would take that kind of weird, like abstract approach of 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 you know just coming up with ideas and stuff. So there is a term for it. I know, I I know what you're talking about, but I I can't I can't think of it offhand. But uh, but yeah, very much when he was working with Bowie. I mean, that was. And those three albums, you know, each, you know, those three albums are, are so different in themselves too, as mm-hmm. well. So, uh, but I, cause I've been listening to a lot of Bowie, like, I don't know why, but like lately, ever since he died, I've been kind of diving into the whole, you know, Bowie and amazing, amazing stuff. And I'm mm-hmm. trying to like, I take it in doses. I'm, I'm not like full on. I don't want to like burn myself out with it, but it's mm-hmm. just like, I've been listening to like the different stages and amazing amazing stuff so yeah but though but that period when with heroes which is probably one of my favorite albums it, it like i said like this album kind of rem- the sound of it and the, and the mm-hmm. i the wouldn't vibe. say it, it's like it's it, the vibe of it and it just yeah. it, it, it really is reminiscent but i never back in the day i didn't make that connection mm. you know it was so weird so it was, yeah. I was so gratified to learn that oh yeah you know what Fucking Eno, he's like he's working with you too as well. I was like, what? And they, you know, the, you know, like, <laughs> where the hell have I been, right? You know, so, you know, I could have had a anyway. V. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, but, it yeah. is. It, it's just a, it, it, it's just a, you know, we're we're gushing, so we'll probably we'll probably tie it up before we we kind of get everybody so uh, on a sugar high from such sweetness that right. We're, there you go. We're spewing, but <laughs> yeah, you've got processed vocals. You've got just a totally different way of 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 doing something. And again, you know, plenty of bands have done the experimentation thing. Um, this was more of a survival move, um, which is, which kind of a, paid again, off a, a big roll I mean, of the dice. Yeah. Oh, paid yeah. off in a big way. It, it set them big up for way. the next, it literally set them up for the next 20 years to continue, um, you know, readjusting. And, and it gave them that ability to not be afraid of, okay, yeah, let's, you know, we can kind of adjust our sales and, and if we need to kind of, go this way, we can go that way. And, and whether the audience, you know, the audiences have come, come along with them, but that kind of, I think that helps as well. Mm-hmm. Is that, like I said, they, they weren't necessarily looking for validation, but I think having it really kind of helps you feel like, Oh, okay. We can, our fans are with us. Well, they needed to, they need Basically. to find that in themselves. I think, yeah. I mean, you know, I, you know, definitely to get to that point where when you know that this is working, when you know that, okay, I get it now we're, we're doing something special here. And I think that that did happen at some point, even though in the very beginning, they might not have thought so only because of the, probably they were still thinking about what the critics were saying. And, mm-hmm. and it was such a low point for their, you know, to them to, to kind of, how do we move on? I mean, that's gotta be hard when you, when you don't have any ideas and you, you need that outside source to come in and say, 
well, let's try it this way. And they're yeah. like, oh, I don't know about that, but you're like, you know what? It might be good for us. So, you know, and it definitely was. So, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, what, what else, the uh, term I was trying to remember was called oblique strategies. Yes. And I was popularized okay. by go. Brian Eno. And so yeah. you should, re- I'll, I'll put a, I'll put a link in the show notes to the Wikipedia entry about oblique strategies. And it's just really, it's, it's just a really interesting way to be of, of uh, maximizing productivity or sparking creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, he, again, he didn't invent it, but he really pioneered kind of adapting it and, and using it in music. Um, so we'll, we'll put a, a, a link in the show notes for oblique strategies. strategies. And if you want to really go. learn something random, you just did. <laughs> there you go. That's random even for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's like super random so yeah. they would they would follow this up with um with with zuropa which really had a very I, I i kind of it's a very odd album but it's endearing in that way because there's they really took the 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 trajectory and really just ramped it up and and really kind of really went for the electronic sound with with like songs like numb yeah and yep. lemon which is sung in, in this really high falsetto by bono and it's just it's so it's so quirky that you you know that they're not taking themselves seriously, but they're having yeah. fun doing it, which is which is where you want a band to be. Well, that's the thing it's too. It's like Bono, Bono's voice on. Uh, <clears throat> that's one I wanted to comment on as well. Is like some of the inflections on this on this album <clears throat> on Octo Baby. Like he, there were several moments on the album where it was just like, whoa, what was that? Like he like some of the like the way his the tone of his voice sounded. Mm-hmm. And I'm th- I'm trying to think of the song in particular, but. Oh man, there was like it was such a great vocal moment where like it almost felt, felt like his throat was closing up a bit. Yeah. And it was so compressed sounding and it's like but then it opened right back up and I was like what the hell was that? Yeah. You know, that yeah, that's he, the, he did, you know, he did embrace something different from yeah. his big his big booming voice where the streets have no name and, and where it's like in the this name anthem, of love. He, like you have he, to shout it out. Yeah, like, he brought exactly. it down. He yeah. he actually he actually did yep. um specifically or you know bring his his vocal stylings down saying in, in a in a lower register mm-hmm. for some of these songs where you don't have to blow everybody's eardrums out or really go high he actually ended up on this album experimenting and going lower and and using his voice as a, as an instrument in a different way than than all the power singing that he's he's used to doing yeah i think the 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 comparison to that was i think in the documentary that i was watching they they mentioned uh was the walker brothers um the the the, the approach to like the songs like the sun doesn't shine anymore and the way that kind of builds up and it's like it's so low but then it like it, you know kind of they they refer to it as a crooner, but to me, a crooner mm-hmm. is like Frank Sinatra, where he's not really singing. Right here, it's like no, I don't, I don't, you know. That's this is like you're projecting. Mm. You're, 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 it's it, but the build of it is like it gets to that point where you're just waiting for that that crescendo, and it's yep. it's so oh god, it's marvelous. <laughs> you know, it's such great, such yeah. so good. <laughs> yep, this is this is going to be the uh, the final episode in our 1991 trilogy. Right. I think we've covered, yeah. I think we've kind of covered. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. for 91, I think we've covered the bases. We hit, we hit the Nirvana, we hit REM and we hit, we hit U2. I'm not sure that, you know, I mean, it was a lot of great stuff. When I look back, I'm like, oh God, let me see what it, what else came out in 91. And it was so much, but I'm like these, I think these three were the pinnacle. Well, we now, we now we need to go back to 81, I think. And we need to, we need to, we need to. <laughs> okay. That's <laughs> perfect. Law and Order, Lindsey Buckingham. <laughs> they- <laughs> There's you. You gave me the met. You gave me the opportunity for the Lindsey Buckingham mention. Oh, there you I'm go. Gonna take okay. it just like on SNL. Uh, so, um, yeah, that, I think I think that's going to do it for this episode. It is Octung Baby is just absolutely a spectacular album. It's one of those yeah. ones that you, we can explain it and we can explain what the sounds were and, and the different choices they made or or why. But you got to listen to it. That that's the bottom you line do. for this one. Is is you got to kind of sit there and and listen to this one and it, like I said it's got a lot of hits so it will be an easy listen if you're not familiar with the whole album and you're like oh okay I, I think you're gonna like it everything there, there's not really any clunkers or any stinkers there's not no. any songs like Mother from like Synchronicity like there's no weird stuff like they don't there's no fillers <laughs> I, I would yeah. say fillers is probably the the accurate term and yeah. and for this album because every song is is good at least you know it's quality stuff it's no there's no song that it's just like eh, you know like yeah, each song it's carries okay. you to the next one exactly like you're not trying to get through 
and you know i think a lot of this song is next i want to wait until i get to that you know and i i think a lot of young people could really get into this record too and i was just before we started the 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 cast tonight i was actually uh, talking with my wife and my son we were talking about how old music is becoming so revered today by young by young kids today on youtube and these reaction sure. videos we mentioned it before but it's such yep. it's such so great to see that kind of thing yeah. i think this album would qualify as uh, definitely recommended so for our young listeners out there who are who are checking us out i definitely definitely recommend this one it's yeah. it's, it's a great one so yeah absolutely yep. Nin- 91 just wasn't never mind it was, there was some other stuff as well. <laughs> that's right. And, and that's yep. why we're, we're, we highlighted two other ones. And I think that, that kind of rounds out 91 for us. And, and really, if you want to, if you want to feel for what was going on, you get those three albums in, in the, as, as far as like in the rock arena, for the most part, again, it's a broad statement, but th- those three will put you in three different positions. And I think you'll be, you'll, you'll be okay with 91. Yeah. <laughs> and, and kind of have a good feeling. Right. And at least yeah, from us, it. what we were, what was, what was, what was popping out for us in 91. So that, that's, that's right. a great one. And this, like I said, you yep. two is, is still going, you know, they, they formed in 76. So you're talking 44, 40, 46 years now, mm-hmm. you know, as a group with the same people, they didn't have the same name in 76, but the same right, nope. four guys have just, fortunately, you know, they're usually, all still around They're you know, there's, yeah, they, didn't, they, they didn't replace anybody there. Yeah. And they're not tearing <laughs> right, each yeah. other's hair out and just <laughs> yeah. like really, you know, sniping at each other yep. on social media. You don't hear anything. You just hear, Oh, there's new music by you too. Yep. And, and they're going to tour again. So good, good on them to set the time machine back to 1991. Go check out Octung baby. It's a good middle point. Again, you can go forward with the sound that they were pursuing, or you can go back from here and, and hear the other parts. This is the, one of those demarcation points that we talk about in a, in a group. You can go back and listen to stuff, the, the stuff previous, which is great stuff. It's fantastic. And by no yeah. means are we dragging it. It's just different. And the band needed to do something different. And they did. And they absolutely, uh, they rolled the dice and 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 they came up, they came up big time on this one. So that's going to do it for this episode of the 3324 podcast. Check us out on social media, 3324 podcast. That will work on Instagram. It'll work on Facebook. 3324P will get you our Twitter account. You can interact with us there as well. Check us out. We've got new uh, episodes every Thursday. and We've got uh, smaller s- smaller bites called quick hits and, and different subjects. We got those every Monday. So join us for both of those, won't you? And we'll see you online. For Eric, this has been Dean. We will catch you on the flip side. You've been listening to the 3324 podcast with Dean Legiro and Eric Cooper. You can find us on your favorite podcast provider. So please like, subscribe, and rate to become a part of the 3324 family. Your feedback is important. So make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at 3324podcast and on Twitter at 3324p to join the conversation. 